Indeed, this is a day the Lord has made. That's why we're here to rejoice and be glad in it. But have you ever been victim of hype? You know, that strategy, it seems, where people really promote something, really lift it up and make it sound good as if uh, you can't live without it? Whether it is selling some kind of a cleaning product or, or maybe a, a sports team uh, talking about having a great season because they have a, a, a star player now or, or maybe just a leader promoting himself. We're all victims of hype, aren't we? And then sometimes the truth comes out and there's no hype left. Uh, that cleaning product wasn't really so good after all. You still had to do a lot of work. And, and your, your sports team, they got a new player and you thought this would be the, the greatest season in the world. Unless you're a Cubs fan, of course, then you're used to having a bad century. <laughs> but all of a sudden, your team is losing. And that leader who made some great promises that this was now going to turn things around, nothing's changed. Truth. Hype. I wonder if people think that about Easter. An empty tomb? A a Savior that's come back from the dead? Is it hype? Is it just there to make you feel good because nothing really changes in life because of it? My friends, today I want to tell you that Easter is all hope and no hype. And the reason is, I know that my Redeemer lives. This year in our messages, we've been looking at various people in the Bible, real people, and seeing how their lives were real lives just like ours. And through their experience, we've learned about our real God. Well, today I want to tell you the story about a man named Job, who lived thousands of years ago. And you might even say, like, he's as old as the Bible, because his life was really back then, when the Bible was first being written. But his life is very much like ours. Now you might say, you know, how can that be? <laughs> he didn't have dropped cell phone calls. He wasn't stuck in a traffic jam on the 101. He didn't have the kind of family demands and work demands and trying to balance life like I have. Well, but when we look at his life, we'll see that his experiences were very much like ours. Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. The Bible describes Job as a rich man and righteous. Righteous mean he was a faithful believer in God. And God had richly blessed him. He had a wonderful family. A lot of friends. He had what we would call physical or material wealth. He had hundreds of herds and flocks and and servants to tend over them. Life was good. Until one day, things took a turn. For you see, as good as life was for Job, and as good as he was, he was not unaffected by the troubles of life. Now, we're all familiar with troubles because we experience them too. In fact, let's kind of make a list this morning. 
Have you ever experienced some disappointment in life? You know, maybe somebody has promised to do something and they didn't do it. Maybe you've had some friends that you thought were always supportive of you and then they kind of turned their back on you. Maybe even your kids. Maybe you've been disappointed in your kids. They haven't been following the path you were trying to train them on and things weren't turning out well for them. Maybe things just haven't been going well at work. But Job experienced those disappointments too. Same thing, even though it was thousands of years before us. He had friends who he needed to gather around him to support him, and instead they became critical of him, blaming him for the problems that he brought on himself. In fact, even his wife turned on him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? And his business, his wealth, was all wiped out in one day. Job knew the trouble of life. He knew disappointment. We also experience some discord in our society, disharmony and disorder. Uh, Do you lock your doors at night? Do you lock your car doors? Why? Because you're fearful because there are dishonest people around. And then you hear of of fighting going on, even among our leaders. You hear of of fightings going on between nations in this world. And then things just seem to fall apart. Nothing just seems to be working right. Job experienced that too. There was a neighboring tribe that came in and wiped out his herds and his servants. And another one came and robbed him. He experienced that dishonesty and that disharmony among people. They were out to get him. And then disaster, and sometimes death that comes with it. We've heard a lot of that recently, haven't we? A jet airliner that crashes in the Indian Ocean, taking hundreds of lives. A ferry boat in South Korea that capsizes, killing possibly hundreds. An avalanche in Everest taking lives. Earthquakes, fires, all sorts of disasters that happen all around us all the time. And death that often comes with it. Job experienced that too. His family, his sons and and daughters were gathered together, feasting, when a disaster came and collapsed the house in which they were in and wiped out his whole family. Disaster happens. And maybe all those things hit home a little more when it becomes personal through disease. All of a sudden, you're not feeling so well. Can't move around as well. And you go to the doctor and you find out, here's what's wrong. And here's what you have to do. And all of a sudden, we become more aware of our mortality, our finality, so to speak. Well, all of those things have an effect on us. First of all, it sucks the joy right out of life, so to speak. And then there's displeasure. Life isn't so nice as it had been. And we get discouraged. We're thinking, you know, I've been working hard. I've been doing this and doing that. And and look at how things are turning out. Why bother? We tend to want to just maybe give up. 
And along with that, there comes doubt. Why is this happening? I don't understand. Or even disbelief. This is not what God promised. Maybe none of that is trustworthy. Maybe there isn't even a God. And you get to that point of just denying everything that you had hoped on before. Now, as you look at those lists I put up there, they all started with the letter D. <laughs> kind of reminded me of report cards. <laughs> well, not mine. <laughs> and don't ask my old English teacher who's sitting here today because, uh, he, well, I just called him old. Now he probably will tell you that I had Ds. Uh, I mean, my former English teacher. But, you know, you get a D on the report card, and it was all about uh, needs improvement. And if we had a great life today, Maybe that's what we would give it. A D needs improvement. But you see, what we need to remember is this. That we live in a fallen world. Sin has ruined life. And even if you're good, you can't expect there will be reward or good that comes in return. In fact, isn't it true that sometimes the bad, the wicked seem to be rewarded for what they do? You see, sin has twisted life. And it's all mixed up. And then you look around, and you see so much sin, and you look in, and you see more sin. You do that. You're probably thinking, things are kind of hopeless. But then there's always people who say, ah, look at this. Things are going well for me. God is blessing me. Look at it. If you base your faith on prosperity or just on the good that happens to you, you have a hollow faith. We don't want our faith. We don't have to have a faith that's without hope or that's hollow. My friends, we have a living hope. A vibrant hope. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The ancient Christians pictured hope with the symbol of an anchor. An anchor is important because it keeps a ship in place. It keeps it stable. Even though there are winds and waves that maybe move it around a little bit, it holds it in one place whether it's sitting firmly on the ocean floor or maybe with those hooks it's grabbed onto something solid, an anchor holds us in place. God has given us a hope that gives us life that's strong and stable and enjoyable. And despite all the troubles that Job had, and he had more than the average guy, that's the hope he had. Listen to how he expressed it. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. Well, guess what, Job? Your words are written down in something that's more enduring than a rock, the everlasting word of God. And here's what he said. I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. That's a living hope. You and I have that same hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can we sing hallelujah in the brokenness of life? How can we gather to praise God in his great mercy when there's so much trouble? Is that all just hype? Not at all. We can do that despite the troubles of life because we also have triumphs in life with Jesus. This weekend, there's a a new movie out in the theaters called Heaven is for Real. And it's based on a book that came out a couple of years ago. It's writing about the experience of a little boy who died and went to heaven and then came back. And this little boy tells stories of the people that he met up there, family members that he had never met before, old friends. He talked of the beauty and, and the pleasures in heaven and even seeing Jesus, Jesus with the wounds yet in his hands and his feet and his side. Well, it certainly tells us what the movie was trying to reinforce, and that is that heaven is not just some nirvana afterlife, some paradise, but it's a place where Jesus is and that Jesus has prepared for us. Now, I don't know if that's all true or not. Because God never promised us that we would have that kind of experience. And some people might look at it and just say that's a lot of hype. I do know something that's missing, though, from the movie, and that is that they don't tell us how it is you can get to heaven that's real. Is it all hype? My certainty, my hope, isn't based on any movie. It's based on something else. The fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. And I believe that because the words of God himself recorded in the scriptures tell us that. Listen as I read to you the account of that first Easter morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the place where Jesus laid and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Those words are God's words. The declaration of those angels is God's declaration to us. Jesus lives again. That's why Job, thousands of years before that, 
with faith, with hope in his God, could say, I know my Redeemer lives. For the Bible is God's authentic, inspired word to us. Now, despite how society may try to challenge what we believe and how it may put down what the Bible teaches, we know that it's true. And therefore, we take the responsibility and seize the opportunities to ground ourselves firmly on that foundation. That's what our hope, that anchor, rests on. The sure and certain word of God. Supporting that are all the witnesses who saw Jesus alive, his disciples that first day. And hundreds of others in the weeks that followed saw Jesus alive. In fact, there are even accounts, historical accounts, outside of the scripture that give testimony to the fact that his tomb was empty. But more than that, it's the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that convinces us this is true. It's like the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his letters. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. You're still dead in your sins. But we know what the truth is. Christ is raised, and so our preaching is not useless, and our faith is not in vain. We believe that the Lord, the creator of life, has overcome death through the resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ. We know why there is death in this world, and why there are troubles, because of sin. And we know why Jesus Christ died, because of sin, our sin, for God took our sins, all, all our guilt, and put it on his sinless son and turned his wrath for those sins against his son so that we would be free, so that we would not experience God's wrath, but only his love. Then he raised him from the dead to prove to us he is the son of God, that, penalty, that the penalty for sin has been paid off in full and that we too, like him, will live. That's the conviction that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts through that word. We can see how it changes lives. Look how it changed those disciples who were cowardly and full of fear, turning them now into courageous, bold proclaimers of that gospel message, even in the face of prison, persecution, and death. It would not silence them. Even a fierce persecutor like the Apostle Paul who tried to silence that message was changed. Now to be a bold proclaimer of that message simply because he had that encounter with the living Christ. History records for us how the Christian church grew because of the message of this living Savior. It grew exponentially over the centuries. It could not be stopped. Not with persecution or death or any kind of threat. You see, Christ's resurrection brings triumph to life. That triumph is ours. And that means we have new life. In the midst of all the troubles we experience, there is new life for us. Let me tell you the three things that it brings to us. 
in the midst of all those troubles? First of all, there's comfort. Now, we are going to experience those troubles, all those things that I listed before. They don't go away. It doesn't change. But what we also have that does not change is the comfort that comes from our God because of what he has done for us. Listen to how the Apostle Paul explains that in Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, that is, declares innocent. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You see, he knows our troubles. And just as he has in the past been ready to help, so he is now and in the future. That's our comfort. With that comes confidence. Because sometimes along with all those troubles, there comes those doubts, those questions, those, that uncertainty about the future. But despite all of that, we have a confidence because we know our Redeemer lives, lives for us to give us life. That's what Job himself expressed. In the midst of his troubles, he would say, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The Apostle Paul continues and puts it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That confidence is ours, no matter what trouble we experience. That confidence becomes our conviction, our bold and fearless proclamation, and we will tell it out loud. That's what Job was doing. That's why he wanted his words recorded in stone, but to record it in Scripture instead. That's why he could say with all confidence, I know my Redeemer lives and he will stand on this earth and I will see him in my own flesh with my own eyes. Oh, my heart yearns within me. That's what we're celebrating today. That living hope. That's what Peter said. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, with that living hope now, we look forward. With a faith 
that's waiting for the return of Jesus with a faith that knows our bodies will be raised again to life eternal. That's our message of hope. Despite the troubles of life, we have this triumph. I know that my Redeemer lives. So my friends, when you experience the troubles of life, the challenges, the difficulties, the loss, the pain, the sorrow, just take comfort in this statement and say it to yourself. Let's say it together. I know that my Redeemer lives. And let that be the strength and the joy in your life. And when those doubts start to creep in, when there is some uncertainty in your heart and your mind, give yourself this confidence. Let's say it again. I know that my Redeemer lives. And live firmly with faith in Him and His will for you. And then be bold. Be bold and proud in what you proclaim as your conviction. Let's say it one more time. I know that my Redeemer lives. Though the world may try to silence it. Though the world may question it. And maybe even someday try to stop us. It doesn't win. The triumph is ours because our Redeemer lives. That's new life. This is a new day. This is our living hope. My friends, it's no hype at all. Just hope. Amen.